Ready? Born ready. Hey, welcome to Where to Party At, your political podcast. I'm your host, Saba Long. Thank you for tuning in today. So much has happened since our last episode that dropped on Election Eve. That was last Monday. So let's talk about it. We had the Atlanta elections and a lot happened nationally. So let's get right into it. First up, mayor's race. Okay, so the first thing I thought about when I was watching the election results was Game of Thrones. Now, if you are a Game of Thrones fan, you're going to get these references. If not, you're going to be a little bit lost, okay? <laughs> so, first, Andre Dickens. I think election night, he probably felt a little bit like Arya Stark right when she went and killed the Night King. You know, it was this epic episode, this epic scene. Everybody else was trying to trying to kill him they got you know they got killed in the process it seemed like all hope was lost and then Arya came out of nowhere and stabbed the night king to death now i'm not saying andre is most like Arya, but if i had to guess that's probably who he was feeling a little bit like on election night now, Andre probably thinks of himself as Jon Snow. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> Next is uh, Kasim Reed. Now, Kasim, I think, you know, he kind of reminded me of Tywin Lannister. If you remember Tywin Lannister, he was the father, you know, the Lannister household, and Lannister always pays his debts. Lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep. Right, so if you remember in the show, his death really upset the balance of power. Right. So after he died, it brought in the High Sparrow and then it became this battle of the wealthy and the elite versus everyone else. Right. And so I think there's going to be this shift in power in Atlanta because Kasim Reed did not make the runoff. <laughs> now, you have to remember, Kasim shaped 20 years of Atlanta politics. Right. So he helped get Shirley Franklin elected in 2001. So that was two terms. Then Kasim followed her. That was two terms. And then he got Keisha elected. So that was 20 years of Kasim Reed. Now, a lot of folks are curious to see if he's going to endorse anyone in the runoff or if he's going to stay out of it. I don't know. We'll see. So who is Felicia in this Game of Thrones scenario here? Uh, the High Sparrow. So the High Sparrow, if you remember, is like this very black and white, no-nonsense, kind of mean, not very nice person. I'm not saying she's mean, but just the High Sparrow was just like very no-nonsense, right? Like, I'm not here to play nice. That's just kind of the vibe that I kind of get from her. But then again, maybe she's a bit of Daenerys in the sense of... My reign has just begun. doesn't always understand what it takes to lead or sometimes like to again this whole black and white thing right like there's no middle ground there's no nuance um i don't know we'll see uh, you tell me who you think felicia is in the game of thrones uh scenario 
So, all right. So if you're lost on all this Game of Thrones stuff, <laughs> here's the deal. Felicia Moore and Andre Dickens are in the runoff for mayor of Atlanta. Now, if you remember in the last uh, episode, we were talking about public polls, right? And so the polls showed that the race was between Felicia Moore and Kasim Reed. Andre Dickens, they were showing were in single digits. Now, I will say this. In September of this year, so September 2021, I was at a client birthday party and one of Andre's people was there and they said to me, and I told them they were crazy, that Andre Dickens was going to get into the runoff and Kasim Reed was not. And I was like, ha, okay, uh, we'll see. <laughs> and I had to call her up and say, all right, you were right. Um, so how did this happen? A lot of shifts, a lot of things happened in the two weeks or so leading up to the election. Number one, the Darden video and People's Town. So some folks think this was a setup, right? So there was this mayoral forum at a church. Supposedly the church was Felicia Moore's church. Uh, and at the very end of the forum, this older black woman, Miss Bertha Darden, she goes to the mic to ask a question. Uh, as she's approaching the mic, if you look at Kasim, it seems like he recognizes her. And he tells the moderator that he has to go, right? Because they're over time. And then Antonio Brown, I don't know if he did this intentionally or not, but he says, oh, you know, I'll stay and ask her, or answer her question. Like, no worries, <clears throat> right? But Ms. Darden was like, no, no, no. I'm going to answer. I'm going to ask my question. I'm going to ask it right now. So who is Ms. Darden? So the Darden family is one of three families in People's Town who have been fighting the city over something called eminent domain. The city said that their homes were in a flood zone and they had to leave. This happened in about 2013. And there are 27 families total who were impacted by this. Most of those families kind of gave up and said, okay, we're going to move. Three of the families said, we're staying put, we're going to fight it. Right? And so... They were in a back and forth legal battle with the city. Uh, Ms. Darden said that the city withheld evidence that would have allowed them to stay in their homes. Now, if you watch the video, it was it was painful. Like it was one of those moments if you were in that room, you could tell like no one said a word like they wouldn't breathe. They just kind of looked and you know, like, stunned like, whoa, I kind of feel <laughs> the energy here because I mean, it was sad. It was just really sad. So in 2013, the city council voted unanimously to approve this eminent domain, right? And that includes Felicia Moore and Andre Dickens. They both voted on it. So what happened was this video went viral. There were like 40,000 views on YouTube. I'm not going to say who was behind it, but <laughs> you know who it was if you really pay attention to this podcast. <laughs> and... So 40,000 views on YouTube, and that's not even including all the media hits, right? So it was on a number of media stations. It just went big. And I think Kasim realized like, oh shoot, I got a problem here, right? So he pulls together a press conference the day before the election. And he did, now I'm gonna give him some credit, like no one else came up with this. So he said, let's solve the problem. Now the families were asking for a million dollars each probably not realistic considering their homes were worth 
like 300 grand. So he said, all right, why don't we pull together a $1.75 million fund. The city council, he had the city council person in that area, plus the at-large person introduced the legislation. So this was on a Monday, Monday before the election, Monday that there was a full council meeting. So they introduced the legislation and he asked for it to be basically voted on same day, which is like not normal, right? That every blue moon that happens, but it's not it's not often. And the city council is like, yeah, no, we're not gonna let you get that W the day before the election. And so they had it go through the normal committee process. So that means at the earliest, it'll be two weeks, right? And so we'll see what the city council decides to do with that legislation. And if the Darden family and the other two families are willing to even uh, entertain it. Okay, so the Darden video, now this is not, you know, this is something that typically always happens in an election where there's something that a candidate says or does or some other type of thing that's caught on camera that kind of shifts the dynamic of the race. So you might remember Hillary Clinton called Trump supporters deplorables in the Trump campaign, like took that and ran with it. Uh, Mitt Romney back in the day, he made a comment about women and said he had binders full of women. He was trying to say that he was cool with women and women were qualified to leave, but he just kind of botched it. And then he made a comment about 47% of Americans being on, you know, needing the government for assistance, right? And so those kind of two things really tanked their campaign. So this is kind of similar here at the local level. This Darden video was one of the big things that I think tanked uh, Kasim's campaign. So number two, the next big thing that happened that really shifted the dynamics, the Atlanta NAACP versus Kasim Reed. So you all all saw this. This is another big shift. Uh, Richard Rose, who is the head of the Atlanta NAACP, penned like a two-page or three-page letter coming out and saying Atlanta don't vote for Kasim Reed and that Kasim Reed was bad for black people. Again, the Atlanta NAACP. So Kasim and his people were like, oh, heck no. Like, that's not okay. They made some calls. The national NAACP came out and said, hey, Richard Rose, you can't do that. So they publicly said his actions were unacceptable. Now, the NAACP technically is not supposed to make endorsements. Uh, you may remember back in 2020, Biden said that he got the endorsement of the NAACP and then they had to come out and say, uh, no, you didn't. So that Richard Rose letter, even though he got, you know, his hand slapped by the national NAACP, it did a lot of damage, right? Because if you think about the type of folks who are going to pay attention to something that the Atlanta NAACP says, these are hyper voters. Uh, these are black folks who are really in tune to what's happening in the black community. And those are folks who are probably going to vote no matter, like they were going to vote in this election. It was just a question of who they were going to vote for. And, you know, those, this letter is interesting because this happens in almost every Atlanta election where some black group pins a letter that is either intending to harm or hurt another opponent. This happened when Kasim ran. Like, this is just something that happens in Atlanta. Richard Rose was the one who 
who did this one. The third thing, the Never Kasim campaign went into full throttle. Like, the media has not written this story yet, and I don't know why, but basically, the Lincoln Project that was in 2020 that killed Trump's campaign, that happened here in Atlanta, but it was the anybody but Kasim group, right? So these folks really organized, they spent a significant amount of money, and I think what they were able to do was move what's called in campaign world soft support. So folks who are leaning towards you, but not necessarily hard towards you, and then soft opposition. So I'm not going to necessarily be vocal, but I could be swayed to be like completely against you. And they moved this group, this never Kasim, anybody but Kasim group, moved those two soft support, or excuse me, soft opposition and soft support completely uh, in the opposite direction against Kasim. Now, we, they did yard signs, they did billboards, they were on next door, they were on social media, they were sending out text messages. Like some of the text messages that folks forwarded to me, like the one that they sent on election day, like literally this is, it said this, today is election day, remember corrupt Kasim is a crime boss. And then it was a photo of Kasim in like, a, uh, what do you call it? Like in like a jailhouse shirt. Now, if this were a race between a Democrat and a Republican, this would have been on the front page of the paper. This would have been leading the five o'clock news. But for some reason, that did not happen in this election. And it's really interesting because we don't know how much money these folks spent. It was a shadow group, so we don't know who was behind it, how much they spent. It was a lot. So Kasim, yes, he was running against four, 13 other people, but he was really running against this anybody but Kasim group. All right, the last thing in this part. Felicia's video with the Trumpster. So a couple days before the election, Felicia Moore posted this video uh, with this white guy saying why he was supporting Felicia. Now, I have... Uh, Twitter alert set up so anytime she tweets something her campaign rather I get an alert and so I saw it but I was like on a zoom and I was like hmm this dude looks a bit like a Trumpster but I'm not gonna like stereotype and then I was like oh I'll just watch this later and then sure enough like I started getting messages about it like have you seen this video so this guy basically says you know I've been voting in Atlanta elections since the 70s Atlanta's mayors have been corrupt they've been self-serving and Felicia stands next to the guy and is, you know, kind of like, oh, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what was running through her head. I don't know if she didn't like what he said or she didn't come out against, she came out against it after she got hit. Like, I don't know what was going on in her mind in the moment. But this guy basically said, Atlanta's black mayors are corrupt, but she's going to be a good one. It's not a good look. So Kasim's <laughs> folks jumped on it as a campaign should and they found out that this dude was like a total MAGA guy and he had been putting out stuff that was like pro-Trump, anti-gay, just like run-of-the-mill MAGA stuff, right? So after Kasim attacks her, Andre piles on and is like, you know, this is not what a mayor of Atlanta should represent. And so she deletes the video 
She returns the guy the guy's donation, but the damage was really already done at that point, right? And then the guy, seeing all this, he posts on Facebook that he was still supporting her and that he was going to donate to her campaign again. And I'm like, dude, you are not helping the cause here. Uh, so I'm sure her campaign was pissed off about that. So this is one of those moments that just made black folks feel just a little queasy, like, ah, uh, like... You Yes, you want to win, but you need to be careful about who you associate yourself with, right? So now if you look at the election map, Felicia dominated the north and east side of Atlanta, like completely dominated, right? Andre and Kasim dominated the south side of Atlanta. So videos like that and Felicia's coziness with Republicans could end up hurting her in the runoff, even though... Again, she she dominated. She got 40-something percent of the vote, 40.8% to be exact. Uh, and Andre Dickens got 23%. Kasim Reed, 22.4%. So I think Andre has the momentum going into the runoff, but that doesn't mean Felicia can't win. She certainly can. She, got, uh, she did an incredible job getting her folks turning out to vote, and those are the same type of folks who are more likely to go out and vote in a runoff. All right, so let's talk about the other races that happened in Atlanta. Okay, so there are 10 Atlanta races going to a runoff. We just talked about the mayor's race between Felicia and Andre. Let me give you a quick breakdown of everything else. City Council President, you've got Doug Shipman and Natalie Archibong. Now, what's interesting about this is I always thought Courtney and Andre were running a coordinated campaign. And I went and looked at the numbers and there was really, there was only a 247 vote difference between the number of people who voted for Andre and the number of people who voted for Courtney, which is kind of interesting. Uh, so we'll see where those voters go in the runoff. Do they go for Natalie or do they go for Doug? By the way, Check out our previous episodes on YouTube or on the podcast so you can catch up our interviews with Doug and with Natalie. Uh, let's see, what's next? Post three at large, Keisha Waits and Jackie Labatt. This is an open seat because this is a seat that Andre currently has and he's running for mayor. Now the Labatt last name might ring a bell because Jackie's husband, Pat Labatt, is the sheriff of Fulton County. District 1, that's between Jason Winston and Nathan Club. Again, this is another open seat. Carla Smith, who represents Peoplestown that we just talked about, she's the councilwoman for this district, has been the councilwoman for a long time. She said she's not seeking re-election, so it's an open seat. District 3, Byron Amos and Erica Estrada. Again, this is another open seat. Antonio Brown. Would have easily won this re-election, but he decided to run for mayor instead. Dang. District 4, Cleta Winslow and Jason Dozier. Jason ran against Cleta in the last election, and he almost beat her. It looks like he might be able to pull it off this time. We'll see. That's going to be a really tight race. And District 4 is also one of those where it's hard to get folks to turn back out, and so it'll be interesting to see... What happens in the runoff? District 5, we got Liliana Bakhtiari and Mandy Mahoney. 
Now, this is crazy. It, you know, you always hear, like, don't forget to vote, go vote, right? And elections come down to, oftentimes they can come down to just a handful of votes. Well, that's what happened in this election. Liliana is just 52 votes shy of completely avoiding the runoff. So just that, you know, if you think about it as a candidate, like that one event you didn't go to, and you're like, dang, I could have gotten my votes right there. Uh, so she's in a runoff. Um, one of these women, probably Liliana, but you never know, uh, will replace Natalie Archibald. Natalie is running for council president. District 12. That's Joyce Shepard and Antonio Lewis. Now, this is the second election where Joyce has had significant opposition, but it's her first time in a runoff. And we'll see, this will be interesting to see because Kasim is no longer in the race. And Joyce has historically been pretty tied to Kasim. And so we'll see if she'll be able to pull off uh, and make, make it through the runoff. Atlanta Board of Education, seat two. That's Aretta Balden and Keisha Carey. Aretta is the incumbent. So the question here is, can the third candidate in the race who didn't make the runoff, will they endorse Keisha and help her get out the vote? The last one is Atlanta Board of, Board of Education, seat seven at large. That's between Tamara Jones and Casey Vennings. The, again, this one is an open seat. Uh, it was held or is held by Candace Wood Jackson, who has decided not to seek re-election. All right, so before we switch into the national stuff, I just want to remind you that you can go ahead and request your absentee ballot right now. Election day is Tuesday, November 30th. Early voting will begin on the 17th. All right, so let's talk about what's happening nationally. Where in the world should we start? <coughs> Virginia. So Democrats lost big. I mean, big. So Republicans won control of the state House of Delegates. They won control of the governor's office, control of the lieutenant governor's office, and the attorney general. It was just like a clean sweep. Now, Stacey Abrams and Keisha Lance Bottoms went up to Virginia and they tried to help get out the vote. But despite their efforts, Virginia went from blue to red. Why is that a big deal? Biden won Virginia by 10 points. So what the heck happened? Uh, the areas where Trump won, they got even redder. And the areas where Biden won went from like blue to light blue. Uh, Glenn Youngkin is the Republican who won the governor's race. What's interesting is a lot of folks try to say that he was racist and they're like, you know, there was a lot of democratic race baiting stuff, but Glenn Youngkin won the majority of Latino voters. He also won Ethiopian and Eritrean voters. Now, granted, this was because Ethiopians and Eritreans are, they use this vote as a way to push back against Biden's foreign policy agenda in East Africa. So the question is, was this just a Biden backlash or did Democrats just put up whack candidates? Maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. 
Now, there was one candidate who wanted Virginia that you're not going to hear a lot about. Let me tell you why. Her name is Winsome Sears. She's black, Jamaican, born in Jamaica. She's a Marine vet. And she's a Republican. So she was the first black female Republican woman to serve in the Virginia House of Delegates. Now, that's a district. The district she represented was like 60 percent black. She's a typical Republican candidate through and through, right? 2A, I'm a gun-toting American kind of person, uh, pro-law enforcement, but she also campaigned as pro-black. So she said, we're going to boost funding to HBCUs. We're going to promote black entrepreneurship. We're even going to create an advisory council of black people who will advise the governor on policy issues. Now, we'll see if she does it, but the fact that you had, you know, if this were, and and Democrats, this is something really interesting, like Democrats will, they will uphold and and like, you know, say, oh my God, it's so great that we've got these immigrant-born Americans who decide to run for elected office and win. But when Republicans do it, there's like crickets, right? (laughs) Nobody's willing to acknowledge the fact that an immigrant becomes a becomes a Republican uh, candidate and then goes on to win. So Winsome Sears, I'm going to be interested to see what she does next. Uh huh, with a gun. <laughs> yeah, she no, she's hardcore. She's all the way Republican. All right, New Jersey. This will be a quick one on New Jersey. Democrats barely held on to the governor's office. It was really close. In fact, election night, they thought that they were going to lose. So the fact that this was so close is just a reminder of just how scary 2022 is going to be for Democrats. Minneapolis, St. Paul. So the city of Minneapolis had some interesting questions on their ballot. One of them was to remove the police department and replace it with the Department of Public Safety. Now, that measure failed, 56 to 44, and how it got on the ballot was after the George Floyd murder, some supporters gathered like 20,000 signatures and said, hey, we need to take out the out of the city charter that we have to have a police department. It's kind of similar to what Andre, or excuse me, what to Antonio Brown was trying to do here in Atlanta, where he said, let's create this department of public safety and kind of reimagine what public safety really means in the city. So again, this failed in uh, Minneapolis. I think part of it's because just like in Atlanta, crime is going up all over the country, right? And I think a lot of folks were like, "Mm, no, I want to be able to get the police if something happens, right? I I need to be able to get the police to, you know, arrest this person or do whatever. The next big thing that they did in Minneapolis and St. Paul was authorizing rent control. Uh, This measure passed 53 to 47, and it's a little bit different in Minneapolis versus what they did in St. Paul. So in Minneapolis, that means that now the city council can now limit rent increases. So that's on one side of the river. On the other side, in St. Paul, it caps rent increases at 3% per year. So a landlord cannot increase your rent above 3%. Now, we've talked in Atlanta about rent control. 
why it, one reason why it hasn't happened here is because it requires approval from the state legislator. More than likely that won't happen uh, because, you know, it's seen as government overreach. So we'll see. I'd be curious to see kind of how, you know, Atlanta should monitor what happens in St. Paul and Minneapolis to see, you know, does it really work or not? All right, the next city we'll talk about is Boston. Boston, Boston elected its first female mayor, Michelle Wu. Uh, she is the daughter of Taiwanese immigrants. Uh, China, I hope you're not listening because I did acknowledge Taiwan. Uh, before running for mayor, she was a city councilwoman. Uh, her political mentor, Elizabeth Warren. So you can expect that she's going to become one of America's most prominent mayors. And if you were a transit advocate, you probably have already heard of Michelle Wu because she is nationally seen as a leader on transit advocacy. She regularly bikes, takes transit to get around the city. You know, she walks. She's very much a pro-pedestrian, pro-anything-outside-of-the-car kind of person. Um, another interesting thing, interesting thing that happened in Boston is they approved their city charter, uh, a change to their city charger, charter, that would give more power to the city council. So now the city council can amend and veto the mayor's budget. This wasn't something they were able to do before. Another layer to that is they, they voted to create this independent office of participatory budgeting. What does that mean? That's just a fancy way of saying a portion of the city budget will be decided by the public. Now, Amir Faroki in Atlanta, he's the district two council member he did kind of a scaled down version of this just for District 2. And so it's kind of interesting to see that Boston is going to do this citywide. And perhaps, I know Amir has wanted to do this citywide, but I think seeing what Boston is going to do might help make that happen in Atlanta. We'll see. Uh, I think what's important about that is it helps you get like a real clear sense of how do you prioritize one thing over another, right? When you got, it's just like your home budget. Like, okay, I got $500 to spend here. How am I going to divide it up? Oh, okay. I guess I got it cooked instead of ordering Uber Eats. I'm talking <laughs> to myself on that one. <laughs> All right. So now that we talked about Michelle Wu and infrastructure or transit, I got to talk about this infrastructure bill. So the house passed a $1 trillion package mostly on party lines. So 13 Republicans voted for it. Some Democrats actually voted against it, like uh, some of the, the squad folks voted against it. So the 13 Republicans that voted against it are getting a little bit of heat uh, because they did not want this to be seen as a bipartisan bill, but in fact it is. So what, what are we getting out of a trillion dollar bill? 65 billion is gonna connect uh, hard to reach rural communities and some some suburban and urban communities with high speed internet. Um, we saw during the pandemic just how everything shifted to the internet. You had a lot of schools where kids didn't have access to internet at their home. You know, like sometimes the parent was having them sit in front of a library to get to internet. And I think we're going to see internet access as like a basic utility, right? So just like you should have lights on in your home and electricity and clean water, internet access is going to be and should be a basic utility. A couple of other things. Uh, this bill put a lot of money towards roads and bridges and kind of major surface transportation projects. 
uh, passenger rail and freight, so think Amtrak, uh, modernizing public transit. I talked about water, cleaning, clean drinking water, Flint, Michigan, anyone? So uh, another big thing was climate resilience, and we in Georgia are a coastal state, and so we are seen as kind of the place that we get the refugees, right? So folks who, New Orleans is probably the prime example of, right, of the impact of climate change, and we end up getting uh, the folks from those areas. And then obviously, if you live or spend time on the West Coast, California, wildfires, another big reason why this was important. So what does this mean for Georgia? Why should you care about this? So Georgia's going to get almost $9 million, excuse me, $9 billion for highways. We're going to get $225 million to repair bridges, $1.3 billion for transit expansion. The majority of that is going to be for Metro Atlanta. Hello, Marta. Uh, $619 million for airports. And then this is an interesting one. $135 million to build electric vehicle charging stations across the state. <laughs> so if you got a Tesla or some other electric car, you're probably feeling really good about that. Chevy Volt. Chevy Volt. There you go. Uh, and then, you know, what's also important about this bill is it has money to uh, replace lead pipes in, in schools and buildings across the state. So big deal for Democrats uh, that this passed. The next thing that they're going to try to pass is Biden's Build Back Better bill, and that tackles everything from universal pre-K to extending the child tax credit, implementing paid parental leave. This is a real test for folks who say that they're pro-family. Because if you're, they're really pro-family, they're going to have to put their money where their mouth is. The last thing I want to talk about, I, I, I'm baffled by it. Like, it's utterly insane, and every American should be raising holy hell about it. What is this? The Federal Election Commission, they voted to allow non-American companies and individuals to donate to U.S. referendum campaigns. Well, what is that? So, <coughs> in July, the FEC, they voted 4-2 to two, um, for this to happen. I don't know why, but it wasn't really made public until last week. And Axios actually, like, broke the news. So, Congress folks didn't know. Like, it was just, like, this quiet thing that happened, right? And we wonder why trust in government is so low. So... Let me tell you what happens today when it comes to election commission and who can give money when and where. So only American citizens can vote. We know that. Now, a non-American cannot, do cannot donate in an American election. There's one caveat. If you are a green card holder, so let's say you're Chinese or you're Canadian, uh, but you have a work visa in Atlanta or in Chicago or New York, you cannot donate to a, a, an election in the United States. And that's national and state. Yeah, in any, any election, you cannot vote. So, but if you're a green card holder, you can, but not if you're here like on a work visa or any other visa. So, and the reason for this is that you don't have foreign influence in an election, right? The FEC says 
oh, you know, maybe foreign influence in elections isn't that bad. No big deal. Now, here's the thing. A state can decide if they want to ban foreign contributions for state referenda. But this says at the federal level, it's okay. But again, the state can override that. A state can say, no, you're not allowed to do it. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, a referenda is a ballot question. So let me give you an example of it at, yes, exactly, proposition. Um, in the Atlanta election, there was one to extend the homestead exemption. So that's an example of a ballot question. Um, a transportation, I, I think in what's 2016, there was a question on the ballot, do you want to extend, uh, add more to the MARTA sales tax to expand MARTA? And this, so like, like T-SPLOST, T-SPLOST exactly. Right, a T-SPLOST, an E-SPLOST, which is an education SPLOST. Those are all examples of referenda. Um, another one might be, you know, any changes to the state constitution uh, that would go before a vote, that's a referenda. Um, so we've had them in almost every election. There's always some question on the ballot. And the FEC said a referendum is not an election because it's not a person. So this is almost like, if you, if you remember Citizens United, and they said, oh, corporations are people too. This is, is utterly insane, right? And so we already have an issue with trust in government, like fundamentally. Because of Citizens United, billions of dollars have influenced American elections that we can't necessarily say, oh, that money came from these people, right? And we know I mean, you've got Sheldon Adelson. Like, there's so many billionaires who have influenced American elections. Now we're saying, oh, billionaires from other countries, come on over. It's fair game. This is, this is the most anti-American thing that I have seen, and I can't believe folks aren't flipping out about it. So right now, there are 62 statewide ballot measures in 29 states that are on the books for 2022, right? So next year, 29 states will have ballot measures, some more than one, on, their, on that ballot for next year. So what happens next? So a group of Congress people said, WTF, this is crazy. <laughs> and they have introduced what's called the Stop Foreign Funds in Elections Act, a version of this a version of this has been introduced in the Senate. Um, I think there's going to be some pressure on states to introduce their own version of this legislation. Now, one of the FEC commissioners who voted against it, let me read you what she said uh, and why she came out against it. Her name is Ellen Weintraub. She said this, Congress and the states should act quickly and decisively to protect all ballot initiatives from foreign influence. Ballot initiatives can reach deeply into the laws of a state or locality and directly rewrite both statutes and constitutions. They are vulnerable to manipulation as they skip the legislative gauntlet and the checks and balances integral to that process that ordinary legislation would run. They are deserving of no less protection from foreign influence than our candidate 
elections. So again, this is something that should be bipartisan, nonpartisan. It shouldn't matter if you're a Republican, a Democrat, Green Party, Independent. The question at the end of the day is, are we okay with foreign governments, foreign entities, foreign billionaires influencing elections in America? I would think the answer to that is no. No, they are appointed. So the FEC commissioners are appointed by the president. They are confirmed by the Senate. By law, no more than three commissioners can be from the same political party. So that means you can't have more than three who are Democrats or more than three who are Republicans. Um, and you have to have at least four votes for any action to take place. The idea is that this is nonpartisan. Don't know if that actually works. So last thing on that is this is something that I think every American should be paying attention to. Uh, call your congressman, call your senator, and say, I'm not okay with this, and I hope that you um, vote for legislation that stops it. So that's it. That's the show. I uh, know we talked about a lot, but there's a lot going on in the world. Uh, thanks for mu so much for making it to the end. Really appreciate you tuning in. As you can tell, local, state, and national politics, it all impacts you. Uh, our Who Runs Atlanta series is coming back for the Atlanta runoff elections. You know, everywhere I go, I keep hearing folks say like, oh man, that interview was really good. It helped me understand this person or that person. So I'm glad that you're tuning in. Uh, to, yeah. the, to the candidates, thank you for rocking with us. Thank you for participating. If you were a candidate or staffer who lost, I really hope you stay involved. I know it took a lot uh, for you to do that. Campaigning is tough. Getting folks to vote for you is tough. It's a bit of an ego bruiser, but it's a great thing. Uh, and we would not have a democracy if folks did not put themselves up uh, to run for elected office. So please stay engaged. Atlanta needs you. Take the time off to recoup, but come back and get ready to roll up your sleeves and champion the issues that you care about. I'm Saba Long. Thank you for tuning in. Go vote.